Um, good morning, everybody. It's just great to be together to worship God. Um, uh, today uh, is, you know, for me, I just got to, I apologize in advance. I'm going to, you know, some of you may be offended by this. I'm confessing a little sin. Uh, I'm, I'm a Detroit Lions fan. And uh, so it's, it's a good weekend for me because, uh, you know, there's n when you're a Lions fan and you've just been beaten down and battered by life, really, really what starts to happen is the only way that you can find joy is in the suffering of others. And uh, the suffering that the Packers faced this past Sunday really just gave me joy. So I just wanted to... Lay, confess that before you, okay? But obviously my heart doesn't seem very uh, repentant about it, so. Um, amen. So guys, uh, it's, it's great to be together. We're in Ephesians chapter 2 today. We're going through the book of Ephesians, all things new. And today what we're going to be doing is talking about how God takes things from death to life. This is such a critical aspect of God making things new. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, uh, as we go through Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to delve a little bit into what it really means to be dead. All right? I, I know maybe it seems fairly obvious, but also what it really means to be alive, which also seems fairly obvious, but when we really think about these things, we really understand these things, we can have so much more appreciation for them. You know, a good example of this is uh, one thing about a gift, right? When you give someone a gift, uh, it, a big part of that transaction is the state of the recipient, okay? So, for example, if I just got a glass of water right now and I just, I, I went up to Craig and I said, here's this glass of water, you know, you look thirsty. Craig probably be like, oh, well, that was nice. I don't really need water, but thank you, you know. But what if someone walked in here and they'd been, even though we're in Wisconsin, they, were, they walked through the Sahara Desert for the last three days and they haven't had any water and they're thirsty, and I give them this glass of water. I mean, how grateful and appreciative would they be? It's the state of the recipient. It's the state of our hearts. And so God, what he does at his work is, is he works on our hearts, and he tries to bring us into a state in which we'll receive the message of Ephesians chapter 2 with great humility, uh, with great eagerness. We would accept it. So let's go ahead and jump into our passage uh, for today. We're going to start with the first three verses. And it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so this passage here talks about death, talks about being controlled by uh, the prince of the air, the spirit that is at work in, this, in the world and the sons of disobedience. And a couple things I want to point out here is that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Okay, so those are two different things. A trespass is when we intentionally cross a boundary, which we're all guilty of. 
We, we know we shouldn't do something. We know we shouldn't think something. But we do it or we think it. Okay, we've all done that. Um, and then the, the, the religious among us, a lot, get, a lot of times a big part of religion is you get pretty good at avoiding the trespasses. Like you have the self-control, you have enough to be like, you know, I'm not going to just purposely walk into this sin, but that's where this, this word sin comes in. And what sin is, is it's whenever we fall short of the glory of God. And so whenever we're not as loving, as God is. Whenever we're not, oh, this is going, whenever we're not as patient as God is, we fall short of the glory of God. So, basically what this is saying, and Paul says in many other places in the Bible, is that we fall short, so, so, so short of the glory of God. And so we all are, we're all guilty in that way. We're all dead in that way. So no matter how religious we are, no matter how, no matter how many moral evils you've managed to avoid in your life, you've still fallen short of the glory of God. And when we read this scripture, it just, and we take a look at the world around us, it's like, yeah, wow, I can see that there, there are powers at be that keep our world from being what it could be. And we're all well aware that we live in a dark, dark world. We're all aware of that. And the world has a few ways of trying to deal with this darkness, trying to explain it away. You know, just a, I'll just share a couple things that come to mind about the way the world tries to deal with darkness. One is that there's really, there's, evil is a, is a very tough subject. It's a very deep subject. And the, the combination of the existence of God and the existence of evil brings up a lot of questions, brings up a lot of doubts about who God is. And so one common way of dealing with these questions that are extremely difficult to answer is that must be there is no God. This must be there is no God. Because how could God allow evil? How can that happen? Or maybe there is a God, but he's just, he's not that good. He's, something's up with him. You know? That's a couple ways. And it's interesting because evil, the origin of evil. You know, who, who was it that unleashed evil into the world? Was it God? Or was it man that unleashed evil into the world? So that's, the presence of evil is not necessarily a sign that somehow God can't exist. You know, another thing about that there is no God is we, we're so... We say that we're so empirically based in our evidence, right? And how we look at the world and how we look at things in our, in our postmodern world. And so we can't see God, so it must be he's not there. And it just drives me nuts because there are so many things that we can't see but that we believe and know are there. Uh, gravity, for instance. Have you ever seen, seen gravity? Have you even, I mean, I, have you ever felt gravity? I mean, technically you can feel it because it's what holds you to the earth, but I don't really feel it consciously. But somehow we know it's there. Um, leading physicists say that we live in a world of 11, just depending on who you talk to, smartest people in the world, right? 11, some of the smartest, 11 to 26 dimensions is the world that we live in, somewhere in there. 
So you got, you got height, you got width, you got depth, and you have time. Those are the four dimensions that, that we typically think of. But all, but all these other dimensions, they're imperceptible to the human eye. They, we know that there are, they are there because the equations say that they're there. But we can't see them. We can't perceive them. And so this idea that, that we can believe this stuff, like people believe this stuff, and we can't believe that there's a God, is crazy. Another thing is that, look at the scripture. It says in verse 3, it says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We all, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. You know, so often we, we, we think of this or we look at this from a worldly perspective as they. It's always they. It's always them. They're the reason that the world can't be the way that it should be. But we all are in this together. That, that's grounds to have, that's grounds for unity, actually. It's they who are the depraved ones. You know, sin, so bottom line, the Bible teaches that sin, sin is the issue. And that, and that can be nuanced a million ways. And so, what is the world's solution to this problem? We have this darkness, we have this evil. What is the world's solution? A lot of times, now, these things I'm about to mention, they, they, they do good. And they can do plenty of good, but when, you, when Christ is missing from them, that's when they fall apart. That's when they fall short of the glory of God. You know, no education, legislation, technology, politician can save man from his current state that we're in. You know, school, right, we... Prom- what, is, what does school do? It educates us, and ultimately, without Christ, it provides us with educated sinners. Uh, if, if we, in, new legislation, right? Without Christ, it produces law-abiding sinners. Technology has the tendency to produce sinners who love things more than people. All these things, even, even the church. Even the church so often produces religious sinners. Only Christ, only Christ produces a saved sinner, a redeemed sinner. And so we have to ask the question here. When I I look at this, I ask the question, man, these powers that be, this evil we see God, we're by nature children of wrath, God's wrath. Like, man, this, who, this isn't good. I don't like this. Who is this God who's just full of wrath? And I, and I want to speak to that for a second. Because God's wrath, I believe, actually opens up a deeper appreciation for his love. It, it opens up, we, we get the, the, the big perspective of what God is doing. So God's wrath. I, I heard this definition of what God's wrath is, and, and I really, I'm going to share it with you. A personal, righteous, constant hostility towards evil. That is God's wrath. And the amazing thing about God's wrath, the amazing thing about it is that it's predictable, and it's calculated. 
We can take security in it. When there is evil and when there is wrongdoing, God will punish. And the, the thing actually that bothers us more than anything about God's wrath is God usually takes too long to get to his wrath. It's like, man, God, when are you going to punish those people for what they've done? You know, God is not a petulant child when it comes to his wrath. He's, we, there's security in his wrath. It's measured. It's calculated. We don't, it's not just this unpredictable force that we don't know we, when's the lightning bolt going to hit us. The wrath that judges and the grace that saves are both extraordinarily personal to God. God is a personal God. And so when we don't fully understand, we don't fully take into account the, what it means to be dead, what it means to be spiritually dead, is it produces, it produces this idea a lot, that I'm not that bad, and therefore God isn't that loving. In that type of religion, it doesn't change anything. The love of God is actually minimized when we downplay his wrath. That's why... We're diving into this a little bit this morning. You know, some other solutions to this problem. You know, the love of another person isn't what, isn't what we truly need. Because if it were, marriage would solve all of our problems and all of our issues. The love and admiration of others, maybe of many isn't what we truly need, because if it were, fame would solve all of our problems. And you know, a lot of times we look, we look to people, and then they find out that they're flawed, and so we look to things. And things can't solve our issues, because then money would be able to fix everything. And so we're just stuck. Where, where do we go to receive this life? Where do we go to break free from this cycle of death? I want to share with you guys a, a really cool quote by Harriet Tubman. Right? Many of you probably know who she is. Heroic woman who helped free slaves from the South during um, in the period of slavery in American history. She said this. She said, I freed a lot of slaves, but I would have freed a lot more if. What do you think comes after? Well, how do you think this sentence ends? I freed a lot of slaves, but I would have freed a lot more if they had known they were slaves. Why? What, does that make it? Why? Why did they not understand? Like the people that she freed, or the people that she tried to help free, why didn't they understand? How didn't they? How did they not realize they were slaves? How could she say that? Because they were born in it. They were raised in it. It's all they knew. Their friends were slaves. Their family was slaves. Their entire existence was being a slave. How, 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 would you, how, how would they even know what to do with freedom? And I think that there's this great power in this thought because this... In, in a metaphorical way, in a spiritual way, this is the state of our world. Man, you know how many, how many more people could be free 
if they knew they were a slave to the things that Ephesians 2 was talking about. So we have, there's a turning point right here in the scripture. So I I read the first three verses, and then the very next words that come, but God, but God. So we have the pessimism of man, this downward spiral, this unbreakable cycle, but then what we're about to read about is the optimism of God, and what's amazing about this is that the Word of God has a refreshing level of realism in it. We have that pessimism of man and that optimism of God, which brings us into reality. You know, the, the penalty for treason, treason, right, is a crime against one's country. It's a betrayal, a crime of betrayal. The common, in almost every society that's ever existed up to this point, the penalty for treason is death. And what each and every man and woman has done that has ever lived has committed cosmic treason. We took God off the throne and we put ourselves there instead and said, I'm going to do it my way. This is my kingdom and I'm going to build it how I want it. But yet every one of us here today is still alive. Because God. But God. Because the story does not end with the pessimism of man. Let's go ahead and keep reading. Verses 4 through 10. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. My job today as I preach this message to you is to just not diminish the power of these scriptures. Why? Why did God intervene? What God? Why did God intervene? Is it because of something we did? Is it because because of some quality that we have? No. It says, because he's rich in mercy. And he has great love with which he loves us. It's incredible. This is God. This is who he is. And he takes us Because of his great love, because of his mercy, he takes us from death to life. Death to life. And, you know, and then it really, it gets into this stuff. I can't can't even really comprehend a lot of the stuff like this, being seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So I'll, I'll just explain the things that I can wrap my mind around. And that is that what, what, what are some of the main What are some of the main parts of the transformation that come from when we come from death 
to life in Christ. The biggest thing that stood out to me when I thought about this is freedom. Freedom. True freedom. True freedom happens when we go from death to life. Freedom from the ways of the world. Freedom from our own sin and the way of the world. Right? We saw in those first three verses that it's just the way. Just the way of the world. We can be free from that. And how, one practical for how we can, how can we use this, apply it to our lives, is that we can battle the ways of this world with affection for Christ. And here's what I mean. Guys, when we, when we, when we see, when we appreciate the gift, we're able to look at the gift that God has given us in salvation and say, this is so good! Satan, you're tempting me with, like, you got to be kidding me, Satan. Come on, I have freedom from the ways of the world. I have freedom in Christ. I have forgiveness you got to be kidding me with that. That is so lame. Man, that, that's, how we, that's how we grow to be more holy. As we battle, we battle sin and temptation with the affection and the appreciation of the life that we have in Christ. You know, we could become free from self-preoccupation. Which frees us up to embrace the joy of unity and connection. Embrace the joy of unity and connection this morning. You know, last night we had a, our youth and family devotional, and uh, it was incredible. It was incredible. Because, honestly, it was incredible because of, of you guys. You guys are incredible. That's what made it incredible. And I went to bed last night with my heart so incredibly full. Like, like I got, it's hard to even explain. Like, it just felt like my heart was... It, was overflowing, and how many people get to go to bed like that? And I just think about so many people go to bed at night, and their heart is hurting, and it's heavy. And I've been there a multitude of nights myself. You know, embracing the joy of unity and connection. So, in, in my marriage, right? So a lot, this past year, brought a lot of turbulence to our world. And if you're in the Tinkle household, it brought a lot of turbulence to the Tinkle household as well. Because my wife and I, we, we probably couldn't be more on opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to politics, when it comes to COVID. Like, when it comes to everything that happened, like all this stuff just got unearthed, un, un, unearthed and then we had to deal with it, and it drove me nuts for a while. <laughs> but, God, we, were able, we are able to embrace, we're stronger than ever. You know, in a year where we probably, we had more conflict and more disagreement, and we found out how different we really are, like, hey, wait a second, I didn't know this when I married you. <laughs> We're closer. We're stronger. That's God. There's no, it's nothing else. It's God. It's the joy of unity and connection that he brings. Embrace that. Another freedom that it gives us, it gives us the freedom for being overly cautious. 
overly cautious. We can live in the mercy of God. See, this mercy, God is rich in mercy. And we can live in that. Right? When I mess up, I can fall into mercy. I can fall into grace. I don't just fall into failure and into wrath and into judgment and into condemnation. I fall into his mercy. This helps us be unafraid of failure. It helps us have godly ambition for the kingdom. Because I know, I'm like many of you. It, it, scares, it scares me to think about the idea of just sharing my faith. It's intimidating to me. It scares me to think about moving to another city, to, to be a part of a church planter, to plant a church, to, leave every, to be uprooted everything that I know. That's, that's frightening. You should be scared by those things. But God, we fall into his mercy. Even if we fail, we don't have to be afraid of that because we fall into his mercy. I just want to touch here uh, on, verse, on verse 10, right? It's, we're saved by grace, right? Not a result of works. And we are his workmanship. I want to, I want to mention one thing about this because the scripture gets, I think, just mishandled a lot. And that's the idea that grace is a completely passive process. That grace happens completely apart from anything on our behalf. And I don't even really know where that comes from, to be honest. Like, where does, where does the Bible say that you, you have nothing, you have no role in, in God's grace whatsoever? I can't, I personally can't find that. And actually, I think that that idea, right, robs the joy of grace. Because we actually get to participate in it. We get to be a part of it. We get to be enmeshed in God's amazing, overflowing grace. I look at it like this. My, my parents gave us a very generous Christmas gift this year. They, they bought us a new couch, like a, like a sweet new couch. And it came in the mail, and it, it came in a bunch of boxes. And so what we had to do is we had to put the couch together. And I think I liken grace to this idea that, man, are you kidding me? Putting this couch together? I mean, actually, I didn't really do any of it. Ian's son did it. And <laughs> she's more handy than I am. And so I had a great time. But you know, it's like, it was awesome getting that and putting it together. We were so grateful for this gift. Like, are you kidding me? So generous. Well, what if we would have just left it in the box? Oh, man, thanks, thanks for the couch. Leave it in the box. Man, so that, so God's grace, he, he does all, he does all. We just, we just a teensy tiny little, all right, God, I want to participate in your grace. I want to be a part of it. It's not purely passive, and it robs the joy when we think about it as something that, that is. This is completely passive process. <clears throat> you know, it says that uh, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're created in Christ for good works. We're, at, we're actually made. We don't fulfill our purpose if we don't have good works. God made us for it. And, and when we don't have when we don't have good works, good, okay, I should say it like this, good works are an indispensable sign of salvation. Because 
you really can't claim that this God, the God of the Bible, has entered into your soul, but yet nothing has changed. That's a puny, pathetic, reprehensible view of who God is. He's so much bigger than that. So much bigger. One final thought uh, with you guys from, from this last verse is that we are, we are God's workmanship. That's amazing. God created us. He knit us together in our mother's wombs. He loves us. He knows every aspect of our being. He even created, he even gave us something to do. I love that about God. He gives us something to do. He creates us for good works. And I think what this, what this verse points to is that we all have a ministry. We all have a ministry God creates that he made just for us, that he wants us to fulfill. And the amazing thing, the amazing thing about what I think, I, th I believe uh, Dave Halverson, awesome uh, older brother in our church, I believe is what he calls it, I might be misquoting him, but the life work ministry. It's what he kind of called this principle from this passage, and, and he talks about it a lot. What's your life work ministry? And it's a profound concept. That's right. What, 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 is, what, what is the ministry that God created me for? And the amazing thing about when we, we see death to life at work in this principle. Because, so Dave, the guy who said that, he leads our church's financial ministries. And he even, and he balances the books and everything, and he does an incredible job. But yet, that was born out of death that happened in his own finances. Crisis in his own life. And, he, and then God used that. He responded to God's grace. And now he leads and does an, an incredible job of helping people glorify God with their finances. You know, our, our, our amazing brother, Chris Moose, Many moons ago, he wandered from the church for several years. But now Chris is an indispensable shepherd of our church. Like his, his ministry is he helps people stay faithful and he keeps the flock. And so the death, the struggle that happened in his life, God brought it to life. You know, the, uh, we have a purity ministry in our church, and those who have had the, the strongest, darkest confrontations with purity are now the ones who are leading the purity ministry. Do you see what God does? He takes things that are dead, and he brings them to life. Your biggest area of weakness might just be the very thing that God wishes to use the most for his glory. And that is God bringing things from death to life. Is there an area of your life this morning in which you need to experience the life of God? Meditate on that. Think of that. God, trust in this church that God has a knack. He makes a living. If he had a, of bringing things from death to life. And so we're going to lead uh, with those thoughts uh, into communion. And uh, what's going to happen uh, while we meditate on communion? Jesus, who brings us from death to life. Uh, Nora and Samira, uh, 
dear sisters in our youth and family ministry are going to sing a, a special song for us on the screen. So it's very, it's a tough thing to do. They're, they're really putting themselves out there. Uh, so I just appreciate their efforts, uh, their hearts to, to give to our church in that way. Um, so let's go ahead and uh, let, I'll pray and we'll lead into communion.